0: you're gathered here with the rest of the family this morning. Uh, We are continuing our walk through the book of Judges, finding ourselves in chapters 4 and 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, with me to Judges uh, chapter 4. It is the seventh book of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are called the Law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and then the next two are Historical Narrative and Judges, actually next three. Uh, Judges, uh, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, historical narrative, and so we're walking uh, through uh, these together. As Mike said, if you do not have a Bible of your own, please grab one from under your seat, uh, and we'll find ourselves on page 189, 189 in that book, and uh, I just think it's useful to have the scriptures in front of you, uh, to be able to look at them as we walk through them. I reference them quite a bit, uh, as most of my notes are being preached from there. And so we'll open together. Uh, As you turn uh, to Judges 4, uh, how many of you, like me, enjoy watching a good documentary? Enjoy watching a good documentary? I enjoy watching a good documentary, especially like watching documentaries that illuminate a story that I'm familiar with, right? A story that I'm familiar with and I didn't know the backstory to something, right? Like a documentary that kind of exposes something for me, so it kind of draws out what I already know. So one such documentary that I watched recently was called uh, The Last Dance. Anybody seen The Last Dance? All right, it's a documentary of, of Michael Jordan, uh, his, kind of his career in basketball, but mainly his last season with the Chicago Bulls. And as they tried to, on their tra- trajectory and trek to go and uh, receive and, and attain the last uh, title, title number six uh, for Jordan. And so, man, this is it, an enthralling documentary. If you've Followed Michael Jordan at all, and I grew up in that era when he was uh, beginning to play basketball at North Carolina and UNC. And I'm only—I uh, live about 45 minutes from here, and he's from Wilmington, so I followed his career very closely as he uh, left high school and went into went to UNC Chapel Hill, and then from UNC Chapel Hill uh, to uh, uh, to the Chicago Bulls. And so, man, you know, all the commercials, everything else—it was a lot of hype around Michael Jordan as he was uh, developing and growing his career. And, uh, and so, you know, I could, if I could be like Mike, was all of our mantras on the basketball courts in the neighborhood where we grew up and just enjoying our, our time playing basketball together. Uh, and so it was really interesting to get the backstory story of, of who, uh, of what happened in Jordan's career, some of the backstory in his career, but also just in that final season. Uh, to see all the uh, compelling stories of events that were happening during the season that, season that the average fan like us Would not know, and so the documentary shed light and illuminated way more of the story that I never knew existed. And I know that many watched it didn't either, and so it brought clarity, honestly, to an already compelling storyline. And in our passage today, uh, it's going to play out like a compelling documentary. We're going to get a story in chapter four, and then we're going to move over to chapter uh, five and. Only thing that chapter 5 is going to do is a song from Deborah and Barak as we see, uh, you'll, you'll see them in the storyline of 4. But they sing a song, they, they they sing a song together. And all that song is going to do is illuminate more of what happens in chapter 4. It's going to expose and draw out for us some of the things that happen that we get a better understanding of what is happening in chapter 4. And so it plays like a good documentary. It's going to help us to to see more of God's goodness and more of uh, of the the character's development, uh, the plot line, the climax, the resolution. It's already an amazing story in chapter four, but when we get to chapter five and it starts to draw out for us this beautiful picture of and all the things that God does in the midst of chapter four that we don't get to see, that we don't get to see until we get to chapter five and see what God does. So I'm going to read chapter four. I'm going to I'm going to draw it out for us, and then we're going to look at different passages in chapter 5. And so basically what's going to happen this morning is is we're going to put together the missing puzzle pieces from chapter 4, and we're going to put them together with chapter 5 so that we can see the whole picture that is happening uh, in our storyline. So uh, the thing that I want us to take away this morning, the uh, the transformation that I would love for us to walk away with is this, is that we would offer ourselves willingly in participation with God's work of redemption as a faithful friend. That we would offer ourselves willingly in participation with God's work of redemption as a faithful friend. And we'll see this played out in our passage today. So let's look at chapter 4, and we're just going to start in verse 1 And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor the commander of his army was Sisera who lived in Harish Harisheth then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help for he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years Now Deborah a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 men, from the people of Natali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out to Sarah, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went to Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Nephtali to Kadesh. And ten thousand men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the, the Canaanite, had separated uh, from the Canaanites the descendants of Hoab, Hobab, uh, the father in law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was Told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera so called out all his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Haggim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this day, this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harisheth Hagion. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, and not a man was left. But Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor... And the house of Heber, the Canite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me and do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent. She covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, Took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she softly went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was laying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed the king, uh, destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity just to gather as saints, Lord, that we would fall under your preached word, that we would absorb your word, that we would listen attentively to what it is that you have to say to us through it. Lord, I pray that you would open our deafened ears and our blind eyes to receive the good news of your word, the good news of the gospel this morning. Lord, that you would help us in your word, help us to understand it, help us to uh, to be able to, you would illuminate our minds and our hearts to, to see the beauty of what you are doing in this work. That you are the Lord of our salvation. That we would rejoice in this. That as, as Mary rejoiced in the news from, from the angel Gabriel and broke out in song of rejoicing, Lord, I pray that we would be that, that, that joyful, over our own salvation, that we would be joyful over the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be joyful of how God is working in our lives to rescue a hardened people. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, from chapter 4, there are two overarching ideas. Two overarching ideas. The first idea is this. We are in desperate need of salvation. We're in desperate need of salvation. The second idea is this that God sufficiently supplies that need. God sufficiently supplies that need. We are in desperate need of salvation. And the people of Israel, again, verse 1, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. And so, Again, like I said last week, you take the teacher out of the classroom and the kids go crazy, right? You remove the external, external um, re- restraint that is there. You remove that e- external restraint, and, and we have a tendency to do what our hearts are prone to do. We, we follow our own desires. We follow after evil. We strive to do what is right in our own eyes. And if you don't believe me, just read all of Judges, and it will tell you over and over again, the people did what was right in what? in their own eyes. When they got away, when there was the external restraint of a judge was removed, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord brings about, again, a, a, a Jabin, the king of Canaan, and for 20 years they live in oppression. They live in this oppression of, of being under the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. And without... Christ And even with Christ, we, we tend to have a tendency to strive and to still tune our hearts to what is evil. As we are, we are as, the song, as the hymn goes, we are prone to wonder and prone to leave the God we love. We are, we are prone to, to follow after our evil hearts and our desperate, wicked, uh, sinful lives uh, without Christ. But even with Christ, there are times and tendencies where we are, we are prone to sin, and we need salvation over and over again. We're reminded that, that we are prone towards sin. Every one of you this morning walked in with something on your mind, something on your heart from this past week, this past month, that is, that is weighing on you. There is no doubt, every one of us, there is something weighing on us. There is some sort of stressor. There is some, something in this world. We live in a broken, fallen world. You need, you need the good news of the gospel to remind yourself over and over and over again of the good news of the gospel. You can't attain freedom from sin apart from Christ Jesus, from anything else you can't So we must rest in the salvation that comes from God through Jesus Christ. We must be over and over again rehearsals of the gospel for our lives continually. We must remind ourselves that we must live a laid-down life for Christ, so that he is made more of in our lives, that our lives aside, we lay our lives down so that we glorify and honor him. Man, Philippians 3 is so beautiful in this because Paul lays out for us his testimony. Hey man, I was was zealous for the law. I was an Israelite of Israelites. I was a persecutor of the church. But Christ is what he says. But Christ, my life is lost so that Christ is gain. And so when we're prone to sin, when we're prone to wonder and follow after evil over and over again like the Israelites do and we are, we must remind ourselves of the beauty of the gospel, leaving what is behind and doing what? Pressing forward to the prize that lies ahead. The prize of God's redemption, God's salvation, the prize found in Christ Jesus and no other. So we rest in the gospel. We rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ who came down into this world. Lived a sinless, holy, perfect life. One that we could never live. And he bore the weight of our sin, our evil. He took it on the cross. And he bore the wrath and he paid the debt, as we sang earlier. So that you and I may have what? As John says, may have life, that we may live. We would have hope that we we would have the salvation that has come from Christ Jesus. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning no matter what sin, no matter what anxiousness, no matter what is ensnaring you towards evil, whether it's thought life, deed, whatever it is, that I want you to know that God, through Jesus Christ, has rescued you from eternal damnation. From eternity apart from Him. That is good news for us, because we are a people in desperate need of the saving grace over and over and over again, that we must cry out to God. The, The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Do you do that? Do you cry out to the Lord for help, or do you seek your own salvation? Do you seek your own way to take care of your own needs? Or do you recognize I can't do this in my own power? I never have been. I've tried. I've tried to live in my own power. I've tried to do it my own way. And how has it left you? Seeking, wandering. It's not secure. More anxious than when you started. You see, we are in desperate need of salvation. But the second idea here is that God sufficiently supplies that need. And this is where we rest. We rest here that God sufficiently supplies that need. Look at me. We're going to look at a few different passages, all in chapter 4, a few different verses here. So, If you have your Bibles, look at me in verse 6. Deborah sent, she gets Barak, and she says to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you to go and do this. I will draw out Sisera. I will give him into your hand. Verse 7. And then in verse 9, Deborah says that I will go, but the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. You see there what's happening? The Lord, the God of Israel, go and gather. Because I will draw out Sisera. Or Sisera. I will give him into your hand. I will do the work for the Lord will sell Sisera. Verse 14. Get up, Barak, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And then in verse 15, we see the, what happens. And the Lord routed to Sarah and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. It is God who sufficiently supplies over and over and over again for his people. He rescues us He saves us from our very selves. That if we will just trust Him, that if we will rest in Him and just sit back and let God do the work and take our hands off the reins, He will take it. It may not happen in the way you like, but God we can trust because He sufficiently supplies over and over again as we read the Bible in its totality God continually supplies the needs for his, of his people. But we must trust him. We must walk in obedience according to his will. And we must recognize that we are in desperate need of him. Because when we're in desperate need of God and his salvation over and over again, we will turn to him, we will trust him, and he will sufficiently supply that need. Then in verse 23, we'll say, On that day, God subdued Jabin the king. It was God who did the work. Yes, there are many characters in this play. There's many characters in this narrative. But it is God who is sovereignly working, sovereignly reigning, sovereignly providing for his people. And you and I would do well to remember that God is sufficiently supplies our desperate need of salvation. In this thought, so as we get into chapter five, it's going to illuminate some of these things from chapter four. The first thought that we need to the first so there's three thoughts here as from chapter five that helps us uh, in our looking at chapter four. The first one is this: in the song, verse five, five uh, chapter five, verse one, Deborah, Deborah and Barak on that day sang to. Lord. What did they sing? They sang a praise of the Lord for his great salvation. That's the first thought. Praise the Lord for his great salvation. So God sufficiently supplies our our need for salvation. We must, in response, do what? Praise. Hopefully, as you were singing the words to the songs this morning, you weren't mindlessly singing, but you were paying attention to the words on the screen that you were caught up in the worship of our mind's attention and our heart's affection, that we would cry out and sing to the Lord uh, in, in song together, worshiping together the Lord, praising God for his great salvation. The fact that we were able to be here this morning, drawn in together as a family and as a church, that we would worship, that we get to sing to a holy God who knows every hair on your head. And every thought that you've ever had. We would praise his name for his great salvation. That we would praise him through song with adoration. That's what they do here. They, they, the leaders took the lead in Israel that the people offered themselves willing to bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. Verse 3. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. That we would sing Together, that we would praise the Lord together. I mean, isn't that what the Book of Psalms is? It's the psalms, a songs that are sung out, that are that are sung to the Lord for His great salvation, over and over and over again. So we want to praise the Lord for His salvation. Look with me in verse four. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom. "...the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, yes the clouds dropped water, the the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel, in the days of Shamgar son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, travelers kept by the byways, the villagers ceased in Israel." They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates and shield and spear to be seen. No shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. They were suffering from serious oppression. They couldn't even travel by the highways, they were abandoned for fear that they would be kidnapped and taken, and tortured, and slaughtered by those who were enemies to God. And even when new gods were chosen, the war was in the gates. There was no shield or spear to even defend themselves. There was no rescuer. There was no rescue to come for 20 years until God intervened. And then Deborah goes on to say in verse 10, Tell of it. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. God brought redemption he removed the oppression of Jabin the king. And he brought freedom to the Israelites where they could now walk on the highways that were abandoned. They could travel on the byways to get from place to place. No longer were they oppressed. No longer were their their wives given over to rape and incest and to marry those from, from Jabin the king, Canaan. No, they were able to experience and have freedom. But how? How did it happen? Look with me in verse nineteen. The kings they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver from. Heaven, the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. If You remember a reading in the, in the first couple of verses there of, of the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. What does God do? How, how do you stop 900 chariots? How would you stop 900 chariots? How does God stop 900 chariots? He tells us in verse 5. He doesn't tell us in chapter 4. He tells us in chapter 5. He brings a rain. He brings torrential downpour. And guess what happens with the rivers? They overflow. Well, guess what happens when they overflow? They flood. Guess what happens when there's flooding? There's mud. You ever tried to roll a chariot in mud? You ever tried to put a truck through mud? That's not four-wheel drive. It's hard. Can't do it. Matter of fact, it's impossible. So why, when we read chapter 4, does Cesara get down from his chariot and run? Because it's stuck in the mud. He's a stick in the mud, right? I just made that up on the fly. I'm sorry. But he's stuck. If you want to defeat 900 chariots of a king, stars from the heaven above as it says the God of the stars of the heaven above brings a rain to equal out the war and to bring about destruction for the enemies of God over and over again God has provided for your life he has provided in every way shape and form no matter what you're going through these today yesterday or tomorrow That if you are a child of the one true king, that God can be trusted. That you can trust him with your life. He may not bring about the salvation in the way that you think he should. He may not give you that job that you're so desperately seeking. He may not provide in the way that you think he should provide. But God is sovereignly working. Just read the Scriptures over and over again. God is sovereignly working for the good of His people. That you and I must trust Him. That we must rest in the goodness of His gospel, Christ Jesus. That we would praise the Lord for our salvation. He is the Lord of our salvation. He is Rescued us countless times from our own evil selves, and so when we get the the view of what he does in five, from for what he's done in chapter four, do you see the goodness of it all? All we saw was that Caesar. They get they get out there and they and Caesar's he he gets off his chariot, and we don't know really what happens until we get to five, and we see oh. God intervenes. God did the work. Therefore, we praise God. The second thought is this, that you and I, we must be willing to get involved in God's work of redemption. We must be willing to involve ourselves in God's work of redemption. Look at verse 2 in chapter 5. Praise God that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Look at verse 9. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And then look down in verse 13 with me. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their route, they marched down into the valley, following you. Benjamin with your kinsmen. So we've got Ephraim involved. We've got Benjamin involved. From Makir marched down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah and Issachar faithful to Barak into the valley. They rushed at his heels. Do you see this? Leaders and volunteers of the tribes coming and resting at the heels of Barak, being involved in the work of God's redemption, seeking to fight and to battle against the oppression of those of King Jabin. Partnering with God for the work of redemption. And so they're 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 called out here. They're exposed here. Bless them, it says. Bless those who who came to the rescue of of, of the Israelites. Bless those who involved, who rushed at the heels of Barak to be involved in the work of redemption. But then look what it says in 16, or the second half of 15. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. Look at this question. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds? To hear the whistling for the flocks. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. But no, Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. And Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. Look at verse 23. Curse Moros, says the angel of the Lord. Curse his inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to, to the help of the Lord. It wasn't that they failed to help Barak. Do you read this? It wasn't that they failed to help Deborah. It wasn't that they failed to help Barak. What does it say? What does it say? They failed to help the Lord. They did not come to help the Lord. To the the help of the Lord against the mighty. So Reuben, where were you? when you were sitting among the sheep? Gilead, why did you stay beyond the Jordan? Dan and Asher? Where were you? First of all, we see that God doesn't need all of the tribes to partner together to achieve what he wants and desires to achieve. We'll see that again as we get ready to go through Gideon, right? Right? Where where they bring 600 troops and God says, no, nah, no, nah, you got, or uh, thousands of troops and uh, God says, no, nah, you got too many. And he only uses 300. Now, there's ditches on both sides of this, so I want to be careful. There's ditches on both sides of this willingness to get involved in God's work of redemption. The first ditch over here, I believe, is that we can be legalistic about this. We can call out people who are not involved in God's work here at the church or anywhere else in God's redemptive work here on earth, right now. Because this definitely translates to the church today. Because as you read the New Testament, all we are called always to be involved with the church. Nothing happens when the church is established in Acts chapter 2. Nothing happens apart from the church thereafter, any of the letters, in anything, even the, even the beginning of Revelation, the book is written to the churches. So the ditch over here is that we can be legalistic. We can call out everybody who's not doing anything in the church. And we can say, how dare you? You need to get involved. Or we can actually take it and make it a workspace righteousness. We can say, hey, look at all the things that I'm doing in this church. Look at all the ways that I'm serving. Why aren't you serving? Why are you not involved? That's a ditch towards legalism. We've got to be careful. The other ditch over here, though, is the ditch of, you know, pretty much, we don't do anything. I'm good. God and I are good. And I'm just going to hang out over here and do nothing. And that ditch is also a ditch we should stay away from. Because if we are not involved involved in God's work of redemption. If we're not if we're not serving in the way we should serve, if we're not giving of our gifts, and of our talents, and of our treasures to God's work of redemption, and you're just sitting on the side doing doing nothing, not desiring to get in the game, not wanting to get in the game, yet God calls us over and over to be involved in his work of redemption. Even here, he calls out those who uh, who should be gloried because of their work and because of their, their willing to give their lives into death. But he also calls out those who didn't, also, those who stayed behind. And so here's where I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be found faithful. I just want to encourage you to be found faithful, that when, that when you stand before the Lord, that he will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have given tenfold to the Lord. And he has used it for his good and for, uh, for your good and for his glory. Is that you? Do you want to be, do you want to be uh, recognized on that day as someone who, who fought against oppression? as someone who sought the good of the church and of Christ Jesus, who sought redemptive work in your city, who strove to to be the church, to be scattered amongst the city here in Jacksonville, amongst Camp Lejeune, amongst Marines and sailors and soldiers. Have you sought to glorify and honor God? To be the church, even when you're not gathered here on Sundays. To be the church. To get involved in God's work of redemption. I would just encourage you to be faithful in this. To strive in this. Because too many of us, we are are perfectly okay with not getting involved. And for the Christian, that's just not possible. We must be involved in God's work of redemption. We must be using our gifts for the building up of the church. For for bringing about the good in our city. And for those of you that say, hey, I'm only here for three years. man, I just want to tell you to throw that thought right out the window. You should live for the good of the city that you live in. You should seek its welfare. You should fight against the oppression. You should register to vote. You should seek to make a difference in your city. Because the gospel is at stake. God has called each one of you as vessels for his glory to proclaim the goodness of the gospel, to seek redemption, to allow him to use you to seek redemption in the city and wherever you may find yourself. So we must be willing to get involved in God's work of redemption. If that means starting here at the church, and start here at the church. If that means I'm gonna go and make a difference in my workplace, go and do that. You should do that. You should do both. And everywhere else you may find yourself, be willing to get involved. Because I don't want you to stand. Here's what I don't want to stand, what to happen. That you would stand before the Lord instead of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. That you would hear, depart from me for I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness. we must strive to be faithful in this. We must strive to glory and bring glory to God in this. My third thought and my last thought is be a courageous friend of God. Be courageous. Be a courageous friend of God. Look at verse 24. Most blessed of women, BJL the wife of Heber the Canite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds and a noble bowl. But she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet, and she struck Sisera and she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank and he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. But I want you to notice her courage. She's she's admonished here for her courage. For standing up for the oppressed. For piercing the temple of an oppressive soldier. The Israelites. Now, does that give us license to go and kill those who oppress the Lord? The answer is no. The answer is no. But it's put here to juxtapose the wife or the mother of Sisera. Look at verse 28. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera, well through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer, indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoiled of dye, dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. Sister is wondering where her son is. He should have a few extra wives by now. That's what it says. Should be taking in the spoil because he's the commander of the armies. He brings about oppression. But it's so that you may know this, verse 31. May all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. My question to you this morning is where are you in this? Do you find yourself as an enemy of the Lord? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? you trusted God in His faithfulness or are you still trusting in yourself to accomplish your own needs and your own works? Are you accomplishing salvation from anything else other than Jesus Christ this morning? I just want to warn you that you don't want to be an enemy perishing against the Lord. But yet, those who are found in Christ, those who... Who are found in Christ are friends that be like the sun as he rises in his might. Man, it's good news for us. We rejoice in this. We rejoice so much that we write a song about it. I don't know how many of you have written songs, but man, we can rejoice in our salvation. We can rejoice because it is God through Christ Jesus who has brought us and saved us from our evil wandering selves into this beautiful family of God adopted as sons and daughters friends of the holy and righteous God and in so doing he calls us to to partner with him to be courageous in this and to willingly give our lives for his ultimate glory at you this morning? Are you willing to give all of your lives for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus? Man, that you would press on towards the prize, towards the hope that is in you, that is found only in Him. I pray that would be us this morning, that we would willingly go and serve Christ. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not trusted in you for their salvation, Lord, that this would be the day. This would be the day where they confess their unrighteousness. They confess their lack of ability to save themselves and that they would choose this day whom they will serve. Lord, I pray that they will be found as friends and not enemies of the gospel. We thank you for the good news of Christ Jesus, who has saved us. Lord, we read this passage in about J.L taking a hammer and nail to Caesar's temple. Lord, it reminds us just what you did for us by sending your son to a cross to be nailed and to be hung and to absorb the wrath that we deserve. What a great salvation that is. For we are a desperate people in need of a good and gracious king. We thank you for